What's up guys, Key Michael here, professional volleyball player, Olympian, photographer, YouTuber, and now podcaster. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> but I've been playing volleyball professionally for 10 years and I want to shed a little bit of light on what that means, especially in the era of 2020 and COVID. So I booked a flight, rented a car, and I set off throughout Europe to meet professional female volleyball players and tell their stories. Because as you guys know, we're all so much more than just an athlete. And that's what's born this series, The Volley Bubble. So be sure to hop on over to YouTube and see all the behind the scenes of trainings and in the homes of the guests on this show. But for now, just sit back and enjoy a raw and candid conversation between two professional female athletes. Hi. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you are Volley Bubble guest number 11. Okay, nice. I always have to, I always like question myself because I'm not sure if I've gotten that right. But <laughs> welcome to the show. Thanks Can I call it a show? Is that, is that too, is that, uh, is that asking too much? We're literally just sitting on a couch in the middle of uh, Switzerland. I think it's a show. Yeah, okay. Welcome to the show. This, everyone, is Olivia Rusick. Hi, guys. <laughs> Do you want to tell me, tell us, tell the microphone and the cameras and the people listening? A little bit about you, a little bit about your history of volleyball and life and how we got to be sitting here together. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, so volleyball has been a big part of my life ever since I was younger. My dad played when he was older um, in Poland. Both my parents are from Poland and volleyball is huge in Poland. And yes. So when he moved back to the, or when they immigrated to the States, he really wanted my sister and I to start playing. So we did. And afterwards, it was kind of one of those things where when I was in eighth grade, I didn't think I was good enough to play on varsity once I got to high school and then I made varsity. And then once I was on varsity, I didn't think that I could play in college. And then suddenly division one schools were contacting me and it was just this mind blowing thing that was happening to me. And I couldn't really wrap my head around the fact that I was good enough to play at a high level or that people actually wanted me on their team and stuff. But I really enjoy the sport so much. And I played at Miami of Ohio. Yes. I know. Not you. Miami of University of Miami from Florida. Yes. <laughs> I get that. I get confused or people are confused with that. All I was going to say, I hope you don't get confused. No. <laughs> like, you figure it out by now. Like, people are like, oh, so you played in Florida. Like, why aren't you tan? I'm like, I lived, I lived in Ohio. It was a good time. <laughs> yeah. Not that. I mean, I, I've lived in Miami for the last 10 or 20 years, maybe. And I'm not tan. So <laughs> people, you know, sunblock is a thing. Yeah, but um, my time at Miami was really fun. I love my coach, I love my mm -hmm. teammates. Um, we really kind of shifted the program once my class got there and I ended up getting two rings once I was there. And Yeah, kiss the ring. Yeah, so then <laughs> I started looking into playing pro and here I am today, sitting I, with you. Yeah, and I love that you say you didn't think that you were good enough, you know, from JV to varsity, from varsity to university, from university to pro, like, we, why do we all have these limiting thoughts? I mean, <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are, or how good you are. Like so many people I've spoken to and myself included, these thoughts just are so limiting and I don't understand why we always have them. And you end up just overcoming these obstacles if you just do it, mm -hmm. if you just decide exactly. you want to do it and then do it. Yeah. That's so cool. So Miami of Ohio, mm -hmm. when did you know you wanted to go pro from 
university and how did you like what was your step how did you did you get discovered did an agent come and talk to you or were you just like hey yeah i think it was a pretty cool process of how i got into it because we did a tour with bring it promotions right I I did that. yeah and it was one of the summer tours that they have and Mm -hmm. so we went to go play against teams um first we were in berlin and then we went to krakow and then we ended in prague Mm -hmm. and when we were playing in Poland, my coach actually specifically asked BIP to kind of include Poland in our tour because she knows that my family still lives there and everything. Oh, nice. and they were able to come watch our game. Oh, and that's so nice. Yeah, and what happened was after our match against these Polish girls, we were leaving the gym at the same time they were. And one of the girls was just walking by and I, I just kind of got her attention and started speaking Polish. And I think it kind of caught her off guard. She's like, why is this American girl speaking Polish to me? <laughs> And I just told her, hey, I'm interested in maybe playing once I'm done with school here. Uh, is there, I don't really know what to do, how to start, who to talk to. And she actually put me in contact with her agent, who was a Polish guy. And okay. just kind of got the ball, ball rolling from there. And But my question then is, isn't Bring It an agency? Why were they not? Yeah, so it was kind of interesting because I met him through her. And I didn't contact BIP about because I didn't know that they were an agency also at the time. Wait, what? Yeah, I didn't know. I just thought, I was like, oh, this is a cool tour company that organizes trip. Like, I didn't know that they also do that side of it too. Oh, wow. That's so interesting because I really only know them from the agency side or at least. Okay. Like, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So then I ended up, I signed a two-year contract with this Polish agent mm-hmm. and then a funny story i think everything just went full circle when i was playing in austria bring it was doing their january tour and they came mm-hmm. through innsbruck and played against my team and i just reached out to Corey. i was like hey Corey, um you know i'm looking for a summer job like are you guys interested in hiring anyone and then i ended up training to be a part of the team that upcoming summer with them yeah and so now i'm working or i worked for bip we'll see if the tours continue this summer because of corona and everything but right it was just kind of this whole, it was so cool. Just full circle, like did the tour with them, signed with someone else, but then signed with them now and everything, so. Okay, so you've come back. Yes. So is that because you didn't have a good experience with your first agent or you just thought that they might have a better? Yeah, well, I think so with my first agent, I, it was also the time when I didn't know what to expect with professional volleyball. I didn't know what I was mm-hmm. getting into. And I think he did an okay job. I just felt like, he could have done better, maybe. I don't think he'll listen to this podcast. But. No, but be honest. Like, I mean, that's that's the trouble. Like, I have the same thing as I don't want to speak negatively about people that are in my past experiences of, of volleyball. But at the same time, the point of doing this podcast is to let, you know, future players know what mm-hmm. to look out for and any pitfalls. So, you know, without being too specific, if there isn't anything that you would say that you wish you would have looked for or looked mm-hmm. out for, maybe... Yeah, I think so with him. He had this vision of me. He wanted me to really play at a high level in Poland. Like that mm. was that was his goal for me. Get right. me to Poland, start small, you know, build and then eventually go play in Poland. But yeah, I kind of started learning through the process that I didn't really want to play in Poland. And I think okay. it just has to do with like the culture. And of course, I'm Polish, so I know how Polish people are. So yeah. that's why I wanted to not go to Poland. I want to experience other cultures and different languages and stuff and so him and I kind of 
he was like, no, well, you should play here. I was like, well, I don't really want to. Like, can you look for places for me to go play somewhere else? And I think at the end of last season, that's when my contract was up with him. And I just told him that I was interested in doing other things. And I think that we had a different like vision for my goal or where I was headed. Yeah. And I think that's, well, I had a pretty similar experience as well. My first agent, I was playing in Germany and I had been three seasons in Germany. I was sort of like, okay, I think I'm ready to go to the next level. And I, and I voiced that to him and his response was sort of like, you know what? I think Germany's your level. I think you should stick there. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't that we differed, you know, personality wise or, you know, he was a great guy, but, but then I had another agent who was actually a friend of mine come and say, Hey, no, I think you can do better. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, in the end, I was just like, okay, let's, let's try it. Let's see what we can. And boom, Italy A1 the next season. So nice. <laughs> I, I would recommend that if anyone listening has those kind of differences with your agent and it doesn't have to be anything personal, but if you don't see the same vision for yourselves, totally go a different way. There are plenty of people out there that can help you get your goals. And if your goals don't align with the person mm-hmm. whose job it is to get you, yeah. <laughs> you know, to your goals, then yeah, move on for sure. Yeah, so then once I signed with BIP and I was talking with Nick, who's my agent now, mm-hmm. I told him I was really interested in Switzerland because I know that a lot of the times they sign a lot of Americans. There's right. a bunch of Americans in the league and everything. And plus it's it's a fairy tale country. Like who, yes. who doesn't want to live so in Switzerland? So that was kind it's of- It's expensive though. Yes. That, is, that is something I have to a very <laughs> point out. It was uh, living, I, I mean, I don't know, you can speak on it, but mm-hmm. living in a country where volleyball isn't the, the best paid sport in Switzerland or of all the countries you could play it, you don't get the most money in Switzerland, but you're gonna be paying a lot for groceries and just everyday mm-hmm. travel and living. So yeah, we spoke about this a little bit yesterday. Yeah, I think it definitely, <clears throat> you have to, budget more if you're not earning if you're not the top scorer in the whole league and you're earning all this money like you really have to think about your money you have to be smart um you could just be one of those players that you're only here for volleyball and you're not going to go on the trains often or you're not going to go like do things in town because there are people like that too like little homebodies like yeah i'm just going to go to practice i'm just going to do this but i'm the kind of person where i like to also have a life outside of volleyball yeah just to kind of do something off the side, kind of get my mind off of it. But then as soon as that's over, focus back in, practice on Monday, back to my job kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. I think that's a good way to look at it. I don't think you should ever be totally one dimensional in anything, whether it's volleyball or anyone that has another job. You can do multiple things. You can put your passions and your interests and your your energy towards not just one thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I think there's there's sort of like a balance between coming over here as a tourist where they're like, all I want to do is visit and go places and volleyball is secondary. Yeah. Or, you know, on the other flip side, just only focusing on volleyball and totally being tunnel vision and then going home and realizing, oh shoot, I missed all those opportunities. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a balance. Yeah. Um, so you said earlier you didn't want to play in Poland. Uh-huh. And I'm curious about that because I have, I know people who's goal might be to play in Poland because I know they, you know, it's mm-hmm. a it's a really good level and they definitely pay well. What was your sort of thinking behind that? Yeah, I think so what I mentioned before with kind of, I wanted this experience to be me seeing the world, seeing different cultures, mm-hmm. learning different languages that I don't already know. And my family is very Polish. Like, my, like I said, my parents are first yeah. generation immigrants. Um, I would say about half of my family still lives in Poland. And so the culture is like very ingrained in yeah. me. 
and I, I do love Poland. It's a beautiful country. Like you've got the sea in the north, you've got the mountains in the south, and there's beautiful architecture, like things that weren't destroyed by the war and everything. Um, but I think when people get to know more Eastern European cultures, like it's, how do I describe it? I mean, they're kind of more like stoic. Um, and sometimes the way that Polish is translated into English, it's very direct and it, mm -hmm. English speakers might even take it offensive when they're speaking to you because it's just so to the point, like <laughs> you look fat today or something like, <laughs> Hi. Something like I that. I feel like in Germany it's similar as well. Yeah. There's there's some cultures that are just very to the point, like it's, it's they, they would consider it more rude to try and like dance around the subject. Yes. And I mean, even last year when I played in the Czech Republic, the, um, Czech is very similar to Polish, just culture, language, everything. Yeah. And I think my coach told me at least once a week, like, you're too nice to be a professional player. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, well, I mean, I'm still a good volleyball player. Does it matter if I'm mean or if I'm nice? I can still get a kill. Yeah. And so I like it better here in Switzerland because I can be nice and still be respected as a player and not right. seen as this, like, soft girl who's smiling on the court. Like, it's okay to smile when you're playing volleyball. And I think... Yeah, there it's kind of just like, no, we're going to win and we're going to, I don't know. That's how I would describe it. Yeah, I guess that, I mean, that has a little bit to do with culture, but also, yeah, sports in general. It's interesting. Sometimes you're almost expected to put on this, this rough, almost like angry, fierce exterior when you get on the court. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like you, I like to just, I enjoy it. I have fun. I, I am smiling because I like to play. Yeah, it's a game. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the day, it's a game. So yeah, it's interesting that you say that that was sort of like a cultural barrier in, in some places that mm -hmm. if, if your, your sort of style of volleyball has something to do with whether or not you get hired in one country versus another, mm -hmm. which has nothing to do with your point scoring whatsoever or your skill. It's just yeah. your actual sort of style of play. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Um, so this is, how many seasons have you played pro now? This, I'm in the middle of my third. Now. Third season, right. And expectations versus reality. <laughs> how have you found it so far? Um, so my first year in Austria, it was kind of lower level than I expected when I got there. Uh, my teammates were great, really loved. I lived in Innsbruck. It was also just a beautiful, yeah. picturesque city. Um, but when you come to play in Europe, you realize how spoiled you were back in the U.S. because it's like yes. every single season, <laughs> every single season I got three pairs of shoes and mm. four t-shirts. And I mean, I didn't even play at a big time division one school. I was in the MAC conference. We're not the big 10. We don't get a new hat every time we win a game or something like that. <laughs> what do you need a hat for volleyball? <laughs> and Cowboy. so, I mean, not to say that our program didn't treat us well, but there were even programs, bigger ones that I don't even know how they experienced. And then they come over here and it's like, okay, you get this jacket that was used last year by a different girl and then you get this winter coat that you also have to return at the end of the season and right. so I think expectations versus reality you come over here and it's like they don't have these mega contracts with big uh brands or companies that are gonna provide you with all these clothes and all that kind of stuff and also another thing that kind of surprised me was I was so used to just getting to an away game and staying in the hotel overnight and then mm. having practice in the morning, then the game in the afternoon. And in Austria, it's like, okay, we're leaving at nine in the morning and we're just showing up and playing. And I'm like, right. okay, so no, no serve and pass before, nothing. Were and they close enough to drive to 
and drive comfortably or was it sort of like you were driving eight hours and then playing a match? Oh no, I mean, Austria is pretty small. So I think yeah. the furthest we ever had to drive was six hours, but that was still, that was when we went to Vienna because we were, uh-huh. Innsbruck is like all the way here, Vienna's on the other side. So And even the Vienna matches you would drive the day of? Yes. No. Yeah. <gasps> and we had to pack our own lunch. That was another thing I'm like, oh. so we're not going to stop and eat as a team. They're like, no, just bring your own food. I'm like, Okay, cool. Time. <laughs> Make my sandwiches in the morning and everything. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and then what else? Uh, they're also in Austria, like there weren't line refs during the games sometimes. No. I think only during playoffs, there were line judges. <gasps> yeah. That would drive me crazy. Yeah. So you just had to go by the honor system. Like yeah. the other coach would be like, nope, it was out. And you're like, well, it was clearly a no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, we still had the up ref and the down ref, but yeah, it was just definitely harder because it's like well there's no line judge okay so we're just gonna play and it's fine wow i no i haven't i haven't heard of that that's that would be that'd be difficult yeah and then last year in the czech republic this was another thing that it was totally different expectations versus reality was getting paid late all the time yeah or even worrying and thinking that you're not even gonna get paid for a month like we got there and we i think it was september when we finally got paid for august and it wasn't even the full amount yeah and then we got to october and then we got the rest of our august and then it was november and then we got like half of september and i'm you know it's cheap to live in the czech republic to buy groceries and everything but i was even getting worried i was like how am i gonna why am i showing up to practice every day if i'm not even getting paid to do this kind of stuff and that's something that kind of some clubs are infamous for is mm. paying players late or even not paying players at all yeah and that's scary to think about as someone who maybe hasn't really done too much research on pro playing pro overseas and i'm saying this and they're like oh my god i'm gonna go play in the czech republic and not get paid like what but and that's the thing most players that are coming over to czech republic to austria to switzerland are coming straight out of college so unless you had i don't know a job in college or you've saved up money like most of us came over to europe with Scratch, yeah. zero, goose egg. <laughs> yeah, so so literally, if you're not getting paid on time, what are you eating? What? How are you surviving? Mm-hmm. That's scary. I I've had, I have, I would say I've I've loosened up myself on it over the years because I've had experiences where clubs have been late with payments or they've pushed payments back or they've blamed it on whatever the the, the sponsors or the the, the city sponsors. or it's always, it's always yeah exactly it's never the club's fault it's it's always the sponsors <laughs> okay. But in my experience, I've only had one team where I legitimately didn't get my full salary. And it, I don't think it was very, by very much. I think I'm missing like a thousand euros from them, from them, which in, I guess, is a, it is a lot of money. But at the same time, like over a 10 year career to think that only one team has really kind of like screwed me over. Yeah. That's, a, that's not bad, that's, right? Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> but there have been teams that push back and push back and it's late and it's late or they give you some weird number there's some amount one month and another amount another ma- month mm-hmm. and they'll give you sort of like you know peanuts one month and then a huge chunk at the end of the mm-hmm. year so i so i kind of got to the point where i don't really even look at my bank account until which it is a total luxury you know once you have enough in your bank account that you don't have to worry about you know food or that kind of thing mm-hmm. but i just i just stopped stressing about it because at the end of the season that's the job of the manager you know to make sure okay 
If they haven't paid Joel your money, I'm going to make sure you get it. And that's why, going back to what we talked about earlier, make sure you have a manager that has your best intentions, Mm -hmm. that has your same goals in mind, that isn't sort of like, oh, you're just one of my many players and I don't really care what you want to do or where you want to go or if the club gives you all the the money that you're owed. Yeah. Make sure you have someone who has your best interests at heart because, yeah, that's their job then is to fight for those dollars Mm -hmm. and cents at the end of the day so you don't have to do it yourself. Uh So... Is there any advice you would give to yourself if you were looking back on on the years that you've played or your you know decisions you've made or clubs you've gone to? You don't have to be specific if there are some that you don't you know. Mm-hmm. Are there any? Is there any advice you'd give to your younger self as a player? I think if I could go back and tell myself um, to push harder, like my first season, I feel like I could have been on a better team, mm. and I wish that I had pushed my agent a little bit more because yeah. he kind of had this idea he's like well you should start slow like it's European volleyball just kind of get your toes wet but I came from a team in the states where we had just won two conference championships in a row and I actually was voted uh MAC player of the year my senior year and so I was That's just amazing. like I think I maybe would have deserved something better so if right. I could go back I would say to push for a better team or maybe a better league yeah for sure and that's interesting because I I think the same thing. I think the US has such a high level of volleyball that anyone that's that's played at, a, at any, you know, even division one, division two, II, division three, it's good level of mm-hmm. volleyball compared to a lot of European leagues or teams. Yeah. So on the one hand, I say, yeah, definitely push for as high a level as you can get and, you know, know your value and your worth. But at the same time, I think a lot of clubs have had they get a mixed bag when it comes to American players. They mm-hmm. get some players that, like we talked about earlier, they come over as a tourist, aren't really that interested in the volleyball. Maybe they, you know, and European clubs don't know what is a good university mm-hmm. for volleyball in the States. Yeah. So on the one hand, yes, definitely know your value. But also I say to a lot of players that are thinking about coming overseas, just get your foot in the door as well. Because mm-hmm. once they've seen you and this goes for clubs all over Europe or teams all over Europe, once they've seen you competing in Europe, they have more confidence to then say, oh, okay, at that level, she can compete. They ha- they can wrap their head around what the Swiss level looks like or the Austrian level or the German level. They kind of, they they can put you in a category, whereas they, they maybe can't when they, when they just see you playing in the US because right. it's such a huge, broad scale of players. Yeah. Um, so I say, yeah, get your foot in the door, but definitely yeah no, yeah no, no and also work. like don't aim too high because i've known players that they're like oh, i want to play for the best team here and then they get yeah. there and they end up riding the bench and then you don't get that playing time on the court That's true. and you don't get That's true like yeah you get the experience of playing for a really good team but you're not out there on the court actually making right. a difference and so it's kind of you have to find that happy medium in between yeah you want to show what you can do so definitely that's really good advice make sure that you're finding your first year or your first couple of years that you're playing, that you're Mm -hmm. actually on the court showing what you can do. Yeah. For sure. And you can always work your way up. That's that's the goal, right? Yeah. You don't always, you're not going to end where you start. So do you have any dream teams or dream countries you'd like to play for? Uh, I'm not really sure. I mean, I really do like it here in Switzerland now. Um, Our team right now, we're kind of in a rebuilding phase. It's only the third year that they've been in the top league. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just got a new head coach this year, a new president. Um, Basically, half the team this year is new. Yeah. Um, So we're still kind of trying to find a grasp on things. But I also don't want volleyball to kind of 
be something that takes over my life. Like let's right. say if I if I thought I was good enough to go play in Italy and then we have three trainings a day and like my body's just totally exhausted. Like I think I want to play for a good team, but somewhere where it's not super, super competitive. Like I think I would love to stay in Switzerland or maybe go play in France in the top league. I think that would be pretty yeah. cool. Maybe a goal that I can achieve. Germany too, I've been thinking about. But yeah, I don't really necessarily have a dream team. I really, one of the biggest goals of mine is to play for a team that plays in the CV Cup. Yes. And I haven't yet. And so I think it would be really cool to finally get on a team that is competing at this high level because then you get to go travel to different countries and stuff. And this is also something I had no idea about when I came to Europe. I was like, the CEV Cup? What? Yeah, what is that? What is what? that? And then they're like, yeah, the top teams are going to go play in Finland and then they're going to go here and here. I'm just like, well, why, how come I'm not on that team? Like, that's yeah, so cool. That. <laughs> yeah, so I think when it comes to thinking about the future, I don't think about a dream team or a dream country. It's more the goal of playing for a team that's in the CEV Cup and playing at a really high competitive level. And that's that's an awesome goal in itself just playing at the highest level for you not necessarily the highest level in the world but thinking about yourself and where you would thrive and be able to make a contribution and yeah for sure playing in the cv i i play i played in the cv cups several different seasons and the one thing that i really enjoyed was that you kind of get used to playing the if you're in one league you get used to that league you get used to those players you're mm -hmm. always kind of scouting back and forth the same team and the same players but then you get thrown into somewhere completely random because it is just totally like pulled out of a hat mm -hmm. and you end up going somewhere you never would have expected or never, yeah, maybe never dreamed to go. Not that you're there for sightseeing or any of that, but yeah, it's it's um it's a really cool, it's a competition. Mm -hmm. This year it's been a bit bizarre because as you know, a lot of cancellations, 2020, yeah, you know, hashtag 2020, need we say more? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, yeah, they're, they're, they're planning some some different formats for the Champions League for this season, for example, instead of just being one home game, one away game, they're trying to push it into tournament format. So they'll have, you know, three or four teams come and compete all, do all the games in that, just in that weekend. Oh, okay. Which I think is going to be so intense for the players. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, I mean, it's already, it's already a lot. You know, you travel, you go, you play the match, you travel all the way back. So on the one hand, there's maybe a little bit less travel, which might be better. Mm -hmm. But playing, you know, three or four matches back to back, it's gonna be intense. For them. Yeah. So good luck to. I know. Good luck, that. guys. <laughs> it's not us. <laughs> um, cool. So you're also vegan. I am. Which I find awesome because I'm vegetarian. I went vegan. I told you this yesterday that I tried to go vegan and I pulled myself back because I felt I I love the idea of it and I wish I were strong enough to do it and maybe one day you know I'll inch towards it. I think I dove in the deep end and maybe Got cut scared. myself off of the legs. Yeah. <laughs> How is that being a high level athlete and a vegan? What can you say about it? What do you recommend if anyone else is wanting to do it? Yeah. So I think uh, when it comes to high level sports, there's this negative rep that it's like, oh my gosh, you're not getting enough protein or mm. your body is going to die of deficiency and all this stuff. And that's totally 100% not Die true. of deficiency. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it was a slow process. Actually, I ate meat all the time. I ate cheese, dairy, animal products my entire life. Like right. it was never seen as an issue, nothing like that. Yeah. And my first year in Austria, I had a roommate and a teammate who was from Australia and she was vegetarian. And What's her name? I feel like I might know her. Um, Maddie Britton. I don't know her. Okay. Why do I think I know everyone from Australia? <laughs> 
But so <laughs> I lived with her and I kind of saw how she was cooking and I was a little interested. I, I, I had had friends who were vegetarians before, but I'd never lived with one or I'd never mm-hmm. really talked to anyone. Why? Like, why is that your choice or something yeah. like that? And so her and I kind of talked about it a little bit more and she said, there's this cool documentary on Netflix. You should check it out. It's called yeah. Cowspiracy. Yes. Have that was one of the ones that I, that I told you I like went down a rabbit hole of yes. Netflix documentaries. That was one of the so, ones that put me over the edge. Cowspiracy was the first one that I watched. And I was just in awe or more kind of in shock at the yeah. fact that I didn't know these things yeah. about how destructive animal agriculture is for the environment. Yeah. I mean, the fact that one hamburger is the equivalent of like two months of showers. Mm-hmm. And I think... I ate hamburgers all the time. Like I use so much water, all this stuff. Yeah. And so once I had seen that, and she also told me that she was thinking about going vegan too at the time. And I also kind of, first I was like, okay, slow steps. Let's just start with going vegetarian. Maybe mm-hmm. let's start with pescatarian first. Yeah. And then we'll go vegetarian. Cause I enjoyed eating salmon and like tuna and that kind of stuff. So it was definitely a slow process. Like I never went cold turkey with anything. And there were times when I was really committed to vegetarianism. And then one day I just really craved a burger, for example, and Mm -hmm. I went and I got one, but there was kind of a flip, like a flipped switch in my head where when I was eating the burger, I felt guilty. And I was like, this tastes really amazing, but I know how bad it is for me. I know how bad it is for the environment. Like, why am I doing this? And so I think at that point it was good that I was conscious of it, but I would still kind of cheat sometimes. So I went about a year and a half going vegetarian, and then I decided to go vegan um, last October, so in 2019. Okay. And I watched another documentary on Netflix called The Game Changers. Yep. I'm sure a lot of people have seen that one. But it's really inspiring, and a lot of people are like, oh, well, there are just so many lobbyist groups behind that, like not not all the statistics are correct, all that kind of stuff, and kind of finding ways to excuse veganism and they're like doubting that it actually helps athletes but from my own personal experience I used to have the worst tendonitis in my knees and now I basically cured it like my knees are pain-free and it's amazing to me and I used to have back problems the past two years when I was playing and Uh now I've gone a whole year of being vegan I don't experience back problems anymore interesting and it's one of those things where if you do it for two weeks like you're not gonna know the difference you're not gonna tell what's happening but if you do it for a whole year, one day you'll consciously be like, oh, wow, my knees aren't hurting as much as they used to, or my, my back isn't hurting as much. And Right. But there's kind of three main reasons why you should go vegan, and it's one for the animals, two for the environment, and three for your own health. And I think it's important to, some people will pick one and stick with it. Like some people go vegan for their skin to clear up, or some people go vegan because they love animals. And once you start learning what happens to animals when they're being raised to become food, it's just, it's so sad. Like there have been documentaries that I watched that I've been bawling the entire time watching it. And I think about how many times that I paid and I contributed to this market that does these things to these animals. And I'm just like, wow, I I never want to spend another dollar that will like hurt someone else again. And so, and then for the environment too, like people don't realize how destructive it is for the environment taking up land space we could feed the world population if we didn't feed 80 percent of all grains to animals that are being raised to be killed and then sent to wealthier countries to eat so it's kind of like just all these different parts coming together but 
That was kind of my experience too. I I started watching one documentary after another and I started with some, you know, one of the ones that was more like avoid sugars or eat less processed food. And I was kind of thinking health-wise for myself. And then as I went down the rabbit hole and I probably watched Cowspiracy and Fed Up and, and whatever multitude of Netflix documentaries there are. And I had the exact same experience. I kind of thought, what am I doing eating sentient beings, first yes. of all? Like what makes me gives me the right to contribute to this this system that we've created where we literally torture and murder animals just for our own benefit. Mm -hmm. There's a really big like dissociation. People just see the food on their plate and they see it in the store, but they don't ever reflect on the fact like, okay, this animal was born. He was taken away from his mother. He was taken to this farm. His tail was cut off and like he lived this long and terrible life. And then he was killed for him to be on this plate. Yeah. And, and so, and people argue, oh well, he was only born so that he could be killed. You know, he was raised. I hate that argument so much. But <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Like, how, you know, cut it off at the at the past. Why why are we raising animals just to murder them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. I I'm, I watched what did I watch? A really interesting. What was the guy's? I have no idea what the guy's name was. But you know, he showed two photos. He shows the first photo is a. What do you think of when you see this? And it's you know strawberries, and you think sweet, delicious. Yeah, food, all the things that come up when you see a picture of a strawberry. And then he shows a picture of a, a, a baby pig. What do you think? Oh, cute, you know, cuddly, sweet, funny. Why don't you think food when you see that that cute little piglet? Why don't you think you're hungry? Why aren't you salivating? Because mm-hmm. it's not it's not natural for you to want to eat a piglet. Mm-hmm. When you see it all, you know, whipped up into a burger, we've trained our body to think oh that's delicious food just like when you see mcdonald's you you're trained to see the arches the yellow arches and you mm-hmm. think oh my my mouth is salivating it's not because you're you want to eat yellow it's like a plastic sign you don't want to eat a plastic <laughs> <Yellow>. sign <laughs> exactly it's like this pavlov's dog experiment where we've trained ourselves to think that that's delicious mm-hmm. bacon is delicious but you could deep fry literally a shoe and it would be delicious <laughs> You know, I, I, yeah, I'm not very good at it. describing my emotions or my feelings when it comes to this thing, but I, I think I'm, I think exactly the same way as you. It's just, we don't have to do it. If we can avoid doing it, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. If it means that less animals have to suffer and die, at, you know, just to end up on my plate. Yeah, and kind of like bringing it back to volleyball, there have been a lot of studies done that show like vegans have better endurance than people who eat meat. Vegans, like, I was they recover to, faster. I was listening to a podcast of, um, you know, Rich Roll? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he's like a prime example, right? That he's mm-hmm. either the most, he's the highest endurance of all humans or something like something that. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> and, he's, and he's 100% vegan. Mm-hmm. So you don't need, you know, we're taught to think we need milk for strong bones. We need to eat meat for protein. It's like, no, you can actually get that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, some of like really famous high-level athletes like, Novak Djokovic, he's vegan. Um, Lewis Hamilton, the race car driver, he's vegan. Uh, Alex Morgan on the US women's soccer team. Like these are just random examples here and there, but like these are high level athletes who are performing at the best that they possibly can and they're vegan. And I remember last year in the Czech Republic, I told my coach one time because we were having a team meal together and there was cheese or something like that. And I told him, sorry, I'm vegan, I can't eat this. Mm -hmm. And he got so angry at me, he's like, how could you switch your diet right now in the middle of the season? Like you're gonna 
break your bones or something. Like he just went Got angry at yeah, you. Yeah, and he was like, you can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, it's my body, it's my choice. Like I'm gonna eat the food that actually makes me feel better. That's absurd. Yeah. I, that's what's funny as well. Like why do people think they have any right to tell you what to put in your body? Mm-hmm. I was, this is a, it's a similar conversation to what, you know, people thinking that they have any right to tell you what your body should look like physically as well. And as female athletes, this is something that we deal with mm. all the time, but yeah. it's just such an interesting business and interesting industry that we live in where someone else can look at you and say like, you're too big, you're too fat, you're too, too short, you're too slow, you should eat this, you shouldn't eat this. And they're like, are there any other industries where people do it except modeling? That's the only one I can think of where yeah. another person's opinion has any factor in your performance or mm-hmm. you you as a being hired or not being hired for a job. Yeah. It's pretty crazy to think just someone could look at you and think, okay, I want her or no, I don't want her. Yeah. Or like she's not doing this right or something like that. But we signed up for it. <laughs> um so what do you do you add anything specific into the diet since meat has been taken out is it that sort of like plus minus kind of thing or is it just you changed your whole outlook on food yeah so i think a lot of the things that people don't realize is um you can get your protein from plants like Mm. all all protein is created by plants and then the animals eat the plants right and so animals are kind of like the middlemen they carry that in them and then we eat them and then and then that's where you get your protein but Mm -hmm. For me, I kind of, I changed my view of the traditional plate where it would be like a piece of meat and two little side dishes. Like that's a very westernized view of your plate. And now for me, it's kind of like, okay, well I can make vegan tacos with beans and rice and lettuce and salsa and the bean. That sounds so good. (laughs) Like you've got plenty of protein right there. And I didn't say a single, there was no cheese in it. There's no meat and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I try to definitely stick with a plant-based diet. So it's mostly, like you said, like non-processed foods and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's important just to go for food that looks like it naturally looks like mm-hmm. in the store. As close to the natural state as possible. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I eat like a lot of pasta too. Pasta has protein in it. People don't believe that. I mean, potatoes. I One of my favorite things is just to bake potatoes in the oven and mm. season them perfectly. And Potatoes, a fun fact, they have more potassium than a banana, and everyone's like, Really? Yeah, like I would never have known that. Everyone's just like, yeah, I eat bananas for ta- potassium, but potatoes are such a superfood, and I think they're slept on a little bit. Did you study this, or was it when, you, as you were becoming vegan, you just sort of, you know, had to learn? It, yeah, so it was kind of like a slow process, but I would read different books. Like, I would read books about the treatment of animals, and then I would read a different book about food and how it affects our bodies and then I would read a different book about the environment so I was kind of getting the little information from each thing from different places and I would watch documentaries and I would listen to podcasts and stuff so no it was never something I studied but now I kind of wish that I had gone back and maybe done something with that or I mean I tell myself I told you this yesterday I mean going vegan is probably the single best decision I've ever made in my life and I wish that I had known all these things when I was younger because maybe I wouldn't have had tendonitis all those years, or maybe I right. would have been healthier and all that stuff, so. And it's interesting that we we hold these beliefs from from where? I mean, as we were growing up, we were, were like we said, we were told we were needed to drink milk or we needed to eat m- m- meat. But as soon as you start doing the research and discovering for yourself, that's where the power is, I think. Mm-hmm. Deciding in our lives, right, I'm gonna go vegan because I've 
done all this research and I'm making that decision. And exactly, I also wish I had gone vegetarian much earlier. Yeah, and I mean, it's all about marketing too. Like when you see commercials on TV, you don't see dancing broccoli. You don't see dancing potatoes. Like you see, <laughs> you see a happy cow and a happy farmer and yeah. this like very, very old traditional farm where it's not like that anymore. Now it's all factory farming. Yeah. And that's why they're marketing things to you that they know will get them the most money. And then are complete lies at the end of the day. Exactly. Like just, it's literally just an image, but it's not yeah. real at all. It's scary. It is scary. scary how much power marketing <laughs> has over our brain. Because unless you really do seek out the knowledge and seek out, do the research yourself behind the scenes. And even then you have to question every source. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we just take for granted these these beliefs and these these things that have been fed to us over the years. Like I, I'm in a similar situation. I'm doing more and more research into minimalism and I'm just kind of like living a, with less or trying to. Mm -hmm. And you realize how much is just how many images and how many ideas are just thrown at us on a, you know, over and over and over and over. And we're just bombarded with this, this sense of like, we need the newest this and the upgraded this. And I need all of the latest shoes and, and clothes and cars and technology. And do you need any of that at the end of the day? Mm -hmm. No, what you need is a bit of money in your bank account so you can live a life that's more free. So you can choose the, to do a job that you love rather than the one that pays a little bit more just so you can support this lifestyle that you think you need to have because you've grown up in a society that tells you that's what you're supposed to, that's what it's supposed to look mm -hmm. like. Yep. Now I'm on a rant, but <laughs> which has nothing to do with volleyball whatsoever. <laughs> volleyball? I play volleyball. What? Yeah, yeah. No, I can But these, no, I think this is like, for me, that these kind of conversations that are a little bit deeper and a little bit more about you know, get to know the person that is a volleyball player that has a brain and has makes decisions mm -hmm. is equally, if not much more important to me than just learning about like, you know, your roll shot or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got a pretty mean roll shot. She's got a pretty badass roll shot, but you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, but so so it's um, I lost my train of thought now. I I don't know what we we're talking about, but I'm sure we were going somewhere good with it. I was ranting. That's what I was doing. <laughs> um, yeah, but so, okay, so aside from your diet and that part of your lifestyle, I know you read a lot. Do you meditate or anything to sort of like train the brain as much as the, mm -hmm. the body? I don't meditate. I tried to get into it. Mm -hmm. I think I really need to, I know it's something that's good for me and I could try it, but all the times that I've tried to do it, I kind of just get impatient. I'm like, I don't want to just sit here for <sighs> 10 minutes, um, but I do do a little bit of mental training before mm -hmm. bed or sometimes if we're on the bus or I'm just in the tram waiting to go to practice and mostly just positive self-talk. Yeah. Um, I'll say things before bed. Like I had an injury last week and so in my head before bed, I, I'm laying there and I'm thinking like, okay, my ab will heal, my ab will heal, my ab will heal. Mm -hmm. And you kind of just repeat these things in your head and just positive self-talk because it helps with self-confidence. It helps with if you're feeling self-conscious or something, because the more you say it to yourself, the more that you'll believe it. Yeah, so I think that's really the only thing I kind of, like I don't meditate, but I just do a lot of positive self-talk. I love that. I think it's so powerful mm -hmm. because literally what you tell yourself in your mind is the only reality. Yeah. If you tell yourself, if you're walking down the street and you think, I'm not good enough, I'm I'm too slow, I'm I'm sad, I'm whatever it is that's negative, 
your whole demeanor changes the way you the way you act the way you portray yourself to other people the way people then respond to you and i'm a full believer in a self-fulfilling sort of like prophecy or you know Mm -hmm. not not fully like manifestation of everything you ever want but just believing in positive things and thinking correctly about what's going to happen and creating your own reality it's just so Mm-hmm. It's so powerful, I think. Yeah. I mean, in the end, it's just you in your own head. And yes. That's who you talk to every day. So yes. it might as well be happy thoughts. <laughs> and I, where did I read this? I, I listened somewhere that, um, let's say you have a friend and she's always telling you like, oh, you're not really good at that, are you? Or like, oh, that was a really shit thing you just did there. You wouldn't be friends with that person very long. Yeah. <laughs> but imagine that that's the voice in your head. Your your own voice has to be kind. It has to be your best mm-hmm. friend and your biggest supporter and your number one fan because you, sh- you shouldn't be hanging out with people that are bringing you down, especially if that person's in your own head. Yeah, that's a really, that's a good way to put it for sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I live by that. I've been a victim of my own self-doubt and my own not feeling good enough and and yeah getting in situations on and off court where you where you think am i am i good enough to be here am i strong enough to to block that player on the other side of the net or am i gonna get a kill or why did they choose me for this team or all these negative self-talk but at the end of the day it doesn't help at all Mm -hmm. it doesn't help you to get to the next step or to become the player that you want to be or that everyone else already sees you as Mm -hmm. Just be in the moment and accept and embrace wherever you are and whatever you're doing. And you can only go forward from there. There's yeah. no point in uh, yeah, seeing, seeing the negative in the situation. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And I think like a lot of people know me as being a pretty positive and optimistic person. And Good. I'm happy that. that people see me this way because you know, you can look one way on the outside and then you don't really know what's going on on the inside. But I try to definitely keep it always in a light, positive mood and practice with my friends and everything. So I just like to be someone that people would be happy around. Yes. And so if you had an ideal teammate, if you were, if someone came to you and they're like, what is your version of a great teammate? What does that look like to you? I think someone who matches my hype level because I get really excited during games. Like I will be the one person who's, if someone gets a stuff block, I will come and like, push them or just like get in their face and jump around yeah I would want a teammate who it gets just excited as I do Mm -hmm. and who will put down an awesome kill and she'll look at me because she knows like we're gonna be like oh yeah we're gonna just look at each other and just let that out um but yeah just super supportive teammate uh someone who gets hyped yeah is good at playing volleyball I guess it's always good to have skilled teammates (laughs) yeah Another thing is, as the longer you stay in the game, the more people have played with each other and everyone kind of knows someone who's played with someone. So I think for younger players that are getting into the game or getting into playing pro, you want to improve your volleyball skills and yes, being the best volleyball player you can be, but being a good teammate is so important. Mm -hmm. Being someone that people will, that will recommend you. They'll say, oh, I played with her last year. She's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what you want. Exactly. You don't yeah. ever want someone to to know or to learn that, you know, someone's playing with you the next season and go, oh, she's a bit difficult or she's a bit of a diva. Oh, like that yeah. is that is the the last thing that you want people to think of you or to be saying about you. So as much as you focus on being a good player and scoring points, be selfless, be kind, be 
uplifting, be a good teammate. That's my sort of like number one. Well, that's what I would give advice to anyone, you know, I young, totally younger agree, 100%. players. Yeah, it's not only about who scores the most points or who wins what game. It's what people, the memory that people will have of you mm-hmm. when they think of you 10 years down the, down the road. Oh, I played with her. That was awesome. She was so, she was a wonderful person, mm-hmm. not just a wonderful player. Yeah. And it's, it's different too, because when you come play in Europe and maybe you only stay for one season or you yeah. stay for two or something, like they will only know you for those eight or nine months of their yeah. entire life. So it's good to make as much of a positive impact as you can during that time. Yes, positive impact. And not only on your your teammates or on your coaches, the people around the, the sport itself. I mean, there are so many benevoles or volunteers, people that just love volleyball, that come to all the matches and they do a lot of work for the team that maybe we don't even realize, Mm -hmm. try to learn their names, you know, say hi when they come in the gym, make everyone feel welcome because they're, the reason that you have a job is because, you know, there's a community of volleyball here in this small town. Yeah. So that's another thing that I would, I would recommend. Mm I feel good. I feel good about this conversation. I feel like we've... I feel pretty good too. Yeah? Good. We covered veganism. We covered... Confidence. Confidence. We covered agents. We covered teams. We covered what I want or like goals that I have for my career. Because I think when I was first thinking about playing pro in my head, I thought, okay, maybe I'll just play one or two years and then go Uh back home. But now I'm just like, oh, I could, you know, it's my third year. Maybe I could go another year and then another year after that. And it's hard too because there's so much pressure from back home. Your friends will be like, so when are you going to stop? Or your parents are like, when are you going to... Do you feel pressure from from home to come back to the Not necessarily from my parents. Like my parents fully support me and they know that I'm doing what I love to do. And they're not Mm -hmm. worried about me because they know that I was good at networking, like... I feel like I could do any job that would just make me happy and I would yeah. find it. And so not too much pressure from them, but a lot of the times my friends will be like, so when it, like, when are you coming home or? Yeah. And every single time it's the same answer. Like, well, our season usually ends in April or May. So I'll see you then. Yeah. And yeah. Like, yeah. Especially this year, a lot of my friends are like, oh my gosh, you're going to Switzerland. I want to come visit. But of course it's Corona 2020. Right. So no one is coming to visit this year. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think every single year you just, take it you have to live in the present and don't think about I'm gonna play for five years I'm gonna play for 10 years it's like some people play one season and they're super unhappy and then they stop and other people plan on playing one season and they end up playing eight or something like that so I think it's really cool because pro volleyball there's no blueprint there's no itinerary there's nothing like you're gonna do this 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 and then you're done yeah and so I think it's been a really cool experience for me kind of going through that and just being like yeah, I mean, I'm having fun. I'm living in great countries, meeting great people. I think I want to continue doing this. So that was a great ending, I think. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it was very inspirational. Inspirational? Is that a word? Inspiring? Yes. Um, yeah, I'm the same way. I think I, I had no idea that I was going to get, I was going to go pro. But as soon as I did, I was like, this lifestyle, this makes a lot of sense to me. This mm-hmm. is awesome. So yeah, I highly recommend it to anyone who's interested. And thank you so much for sitting down and chatting and opening up your lives to our microphones and our cameras. And 
anyone who's listening. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm sure my parents will enjoy listening and watching this. Oh yeah, <laughs> shout out to Olivia's parents. Hi mom and dad. Hi. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, that's the end. <laughs> Cut. Scene. <laughs> Hey, it's Key. If you made it this far, that is amazing. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation. A little sneak peek into the minds of a couple of professional athletes. If you want to help us grow the show, please do subscribe so you guys will be notified when I have my next guest. And if you know any volleyball players that might enjoy listening, go ahead and share it with them or on your social media, tag me and I will be sure to repost it because you're amazing. <laughs> Definitely have a look on the YouTube channel for videos with today's guest and you'll see her team in training. You'll see where she lives and all the quirky, interesting details of life as a professional volleyball player in Europe. Also, if you guys have any suggestions for future guests, leave them in a comment over on YouTube or on Instagram. You can just search BB Key or Key Michael or the Volley Bubble and you should be able to find me. So thanks for listening and I'll catch you guys on the next one.